0: to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi everybody. It is Wednesday night and that means it's time for Friends in Fiction. It is the happiest night of the week and we are so happy to be here with you tonight. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And this is Friends in Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors Endless Stories to Support Independent Bookstores, Authors, and Librarians. Tonight we'll be talking with Lisa Barr and Eric Roebuck, Erica Roebuck, and then our sh- our friend Rachel McMillan will join us in the after show. So let's settle in for a really fun hour, but first I think we should tell you where we're all broadcasting from, because I think all of us have had an insane <laughs> day, and I think you're going to see it reflected in the, in the broadcast tonight. Like I just got off the road after basically eight, seven to eight hours of driving, um, so My words might not come out right tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're doing great. Um, I am actually at my parents' house in Salisbury.
1: I came home to see um, my grandparents, which is why there is still a row of my books behind me (laughs) because I'm at my parents' house. I did not travel with 47 copies of my (laughs) own books. Although you should. I should. I mean, why shouldn't you? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, Patty, where are you? I am in Newburgh, Oregon, speaking at a college tomorrow. And so I am in, as what you can tell, is an incredibly fancy hotel, not, (laughs) with an incredibly bad Wi-Fi. So I'm going to be a bit glitchy, but I'm so happy to be here and cannot wait to hear from Erica and Lisa and Rachel.
3: And I'm at my friend Beth's house in the mountains of North Carolina, um doing Christmas tree research.
0: Well that sounds amazing. And it really Pat like was We'll just warn you all, Patty's on a tiny bit of a delay. Um, So if there's a pause, that is why, but she's here and that is good. So Christy, sorry, take it away. (laughs) No, that's great. So as you know, we continue to
1: encourage you to support independent booksellers when and where you can. I was at one of my favorites in Salisbury today, Um, South Main Book Company, one of the best. And one way to do that is to visit our own Friends Fiction bookshop.org page where you can find Lisa, Erica, and Rachel's books and books by the four of us and our past guests at a discount.
2: We also want to remind you that both Christy and Mary Kay have brand new books coming out in the next couple of weeks. In fact, Christy, I think it's two weeks and six days until your book comes out. And Mary Kay will be May 3rd. And they're available wherever books are sold. But if you want a hand signed first edition of both books when they come out, plus a great little notepad with sticky notes. You can order the spring box from our friends at independent bookstore, Oxford Exchange. You'll receive this beautiful, it's like getting a gift in the mail, this Mm -hmm. beautiful delivery of both books and each of them signed as soon as they are released. I got my big stash yesterday. I can't wait to sign them all for you. Oh
3: my gosh. But Mine won't be here for a while yet. So, friends, you know how we all savor a really good cup of – a really good book. (laughs) A good book. It's like you don't want it to end, right? Like a book, you don't want it to end. That's exactly how you'll feel about a cup of slow-roasted coffee from Charleston Coffee Roasters. And that's why we are so excited to announce our next giveaway. As part of our Coffee with Friends promotion, three lucky – Friends and Fiction members will each win their very own three-month subscription from Charleston Coffee Roasters. Each winner of the month giveaway will receive two bags of smooth, slow-roasted seasonal favorites from Charleston Coffee Roasters each month for three months. That's a prize worth $90. We'll choose three winners, one each in March, April, and May. Enter once to be chosen at random in any of the three monthly draws. And Meg will share the entry form link on the Facebook page. Meanwhile, don't wait. Shop now on the Charleston Coffee Roasters website and use the code Coffee with Friends, all lowercase one word, for 20% off all bag coffees.
1: And while you're treating yourself, don't forget our other presenting sponsor, Page One Books, who also has a very nice discount for our viewers on their fun subscription service. You can use our code FRIENDS15 at their website, page one That's the number one, to get 15% off their three, six, or 12 month subscription plans. I know all of us gave these as gifts the last time that they were our sponsor because this yeah. is like the best gift, yeah. gift ever. But basically, yes. page one, um, the, the booksellers at page one are literary matchmakers. You fill out a survey telling them about your book preferences and poof, flake magic, a book <laughs> that's for you by a human being, arrives at your door. So we hope that you'll give them a try using the code FRIENDS15 at checkout.
0: Well, speaking of magical books, and is there anything better, ladies? I think not. Mm. I believe it is time to welcome our guests for the evening, Lisa Barr and Erica Roebuck. So let's learn a little bit about the two of them. Lisa Barr is
1: the award-winning author of Woman on Fire, The Unbreakables, and the historical thriller Fugitive Colors. She previously worked as an editor and reporter for the Jerusalem Post, the managing editor of Today's Chicago Woman, the managing editor of Moment Magazine, and as an editor and reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. So wow, she has got quite the journalistic career. (laughs) Lisa also served as the editor and creator of the popular parenting blog, Girl Willow Warfare, a mom's guide to surviving
2: the suburban jungle. Lisa has been featured on today, Good Morning America, Fox and Friends, and Australia TV. She earned her master's degree from the Middle School of Journalism at Northwestern University. And she lives in the Chicago area with her husband, and they're three daughters, and you have to follow her on social media because she posts the greatest pictures of all of them all the time. It's great. Yeah.
1: They're all just as beautiful as Lisa yes. <laughs> to to know her. Yeah.
3: Okay, and Lisa Erica Roebuck is a national best-selling author of books, including The Invisible Woman, Hemingway's Girl, and Call Me Zelda. She also served as a contributor to the Writer's Digest essay collection, Author in Progress, and the anthology Grand Central Post-War Stories of Love and Reunion. She lives in Annapolis with her husband and family, which includes three sons and a miniature schnauzer. In 2014, she was named Annapolis's author of the year.
0: That's so cool. Orlando would never name me the author of anything. (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) And
3: the poet laureate of my neighborhood, I'll have you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna tell myself, I'm gonna be like, I'm author of the year in Beaufort. Like I'm just gonna make it up.
4: Yeah. I really just awesome.
1: made
3: it up. I just made myself poet laureate of Avondale Estates. Uh-huh. You could do yeah, it. That is yeah, fantastic. Why
0: not? I recommend big title for all of us, just like we were going to give each other awards named after each other. Yeah, all, yeah. all it's all it's all coming together, ladies. Yeah. So anyhow, both Lisa and Erica had brand new books come out just last week. So how lucky are we to be talking to them tonight? We're so excited, Sean. Can you bring Lisa and Erica on, please?
4: Hi, hi ladies you.
5: welcome
0: welcome welcome to friends and fiction we are so glad to have you here and big congratulations on your new books both of which i had the chance to read early both of which i absolutely loved as you both know so lisa can you start us off by telling us about woman on fire
5: yes first of all Thank you so much for having me. And I love being with Erica. We're, we're pub day sisters and we've been supporting each other all the way through, which has been amazing. So Woman on Fire is a gripping tale of a savvy young journalist. She's 24 years old and she gets embroiled in a major international art scandal centered around a Nazi looted painting and I really loved writing this book because it has, you know, all the things I love to write and read, suspense, history and risky journalistic pursuits and strong fiery women.
0: Awesome. awesome. And I loved it so much. It was so good. I was reading it by the pool about, I guess, almost a year ago and just gasping aloud. And my mother in law kept saying, What's wrong? And I'm like, yeah. this book? It's amazing. But anyhow, Erica, can you tell us about Sisters of Night and Fog, which I'm also a big fan of?
6: Yes. And I also want to say hello again and thank you to all. I feel like I've known all of you for such a long time. So this is a thrill to be here um, and to share Pub Day with Lisa. It's been great. Um, Sisters of Night and Fog is the true story of two remarkable women in World War II. One of them is an American teacher who grew up in Florida, married a Frenchman, and the other one is a Franco-British feisty widow and mother, um, and both of their deeds with the resistance do come to a staggering halt when they come together, um, and they're really tested in their courage and strength. Uh, But writing this book and finding these real women superheroes has been the joy of the last three years of my life.
0: It's amazing. Wow. Such a great okay. book, too. I love it. It's Thank
3: you. Okay, I get to ask the first question, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so these yep. are both searing novels that involve World War II, but they're so very different in their execution. I love that idea that you can both be circling around similar subject matter, including, you know, the age-old fight of good versus evil, which we're seeing playing out right now in yeah. real time. Yeah. But the passion and interest you both bring to the table, you result in just so wildly different stories. Could you tell us, first of all, what was the seed of the idea for each of these books, Erica? You maybe you could start.
6: Sure. You know, growing up in Annapolis, it's very historic. I always feel like I'm back in time, um, and so when I'm when I'm around, I love the past, and it, it always felt sort of safe to me until I started researching World War II. Um, but someone I had been writing so many books about. The Wives of Famous Authors, and I was starting to write another Wife of Famous Author book, and um, an editor told me, could you write about a woman who's just remarkable on her own, not someone who's remarkable for being in the shadows of a man? Um, And I thought that was really interesting advice. And It was around that time that I read an article in the Smithsonian about a woman from Baltimore, um, right near where I grew up in Maryland, um, who had served as a spy in World War II, and who had liberated mountain villages and had wanted posters and Nazis on her tail, and she Scaled the Pyrenees and all on a prosthetic leg called Cuthbert. And that was Virginia Hall. So, you know, meanwhile, you know, I went to Target this morning. (laughs) Um, When I found her, I felt like, oh, my gosh, this woman could start a whole new subgenre of husband of famous woman books. Um, Yeah. And then when I, when I was working with Virginia Hall and the Invisible Woman, I started finding all these women's stories and I'm really focused on the American women because that's what I am. And that's where I found Virginia Rausch, D'Albert Lake. And uh, so it's just one led to another. And then I had these, um, these, these giants of
3: the past.
0: And Erica, I have to interject quickly and just say, um, you and I had something in common. We had a Virginia D'Albert Lake uh, connection.
6: Yes, so Kristen, I and I
0: had been looking, reading, and I'm a huge fan of Kristen's, and I
6: saw <laughs> that um, she had read the diary and memoir of Virginia Dalbert Lake to inform the ru- Room on Room. Ru- I can't pronounce it correctly. You no, say no, <laughs> no,
0: that, that no, the, 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 the Room on Rue Amelie. She was one right? yeah. um, of so. so- I- I wasn't telling her story, but I mean, but she was kind of the person who gave me, in my mind, the permission to write about this American woman in Paris during the war. And so, um, it's been so interesting to talk to you about your book and then just see her story so much more fully fleshed out. Um, and And then, when we met last week and talked about it in person, we were right in the shadow of her old university here in uh, in uh, Winter Park, Florida. And did I tell you, Christian, what
6: happened on the way out of the book signing? No. Oh, you did. Yes. I'll just drop one one quick little mystical story. There's lots of them and writers, you probably have many of your own, but um, I didn't get to go to Rollins College and visit, which is where Virginia had attended. And I was bummed because I didn't give myself the time to do it. And when I was leaving the signing, it was dark. And GPS took me some crazy way that was not the way I came in. I'm all these side streets turn here, turn there. Finally, a light turned red. So I slammed my brakes on. There are no cars around. And I looked to the right and there's Rollins College. And that's where Virginia went. So I felt like she was giving
4: me that, you know. That's
0: or I could have awesome. just, like, hit that's GPS right. wrong. But
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, like, I like the first explanation. The first works. one's better.
3: Yeah. Way better, yeah. 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 Lisa, tell us about the
5: seed and the idea that got you started for Woman on Fire. Okay, so for me, it was twofold. I was writing this book during COVID, and I really decided I wanted to write about a young journalist because this was the most i would say interesting time of my life i was a reporter in the middle east and i was young and before kids and i was sort of fearless and i would take on any story and it was kind of before i was older and jaded and seasoned and i decided i wanted to go back there and during covid and so i was looking for my story and i know when i have my story i get this sort of visceral feeling through my body and I had read this article about the Munich Art Horde, which was kind of a, it just blew up the art uh, world. And basically, there was dis- discovered in Munich, uh, in a rundown apartment, 1,500 major masterpieces, masterpieces, including Chagallin and um, Monet and just 1500 worth about $1. 1.5 billion dollars and it turns out that this oh was this, yeah this was the son of hitler's art thief. Hitler I remember Ritter. this story. Yeah and so I knew I had my story and so when I began the book no spoilers it I knew I wanted to catapult off of this very real story and you know it's it's almost unbelievable he had major works inside of his stove and his food cabinet, and many of the works were stolen art, and I knew I wanted to write about this and sort of wrap my characters all about around uh, this treasure trove, and in the treasure trove, uh, Woman on Fire, which is the painting, may or may not have been in, in this treasure trove, and so that's where it kind of began. Uh, the young journalist and this Wild story in the art world, sort of ripped from the headlines, right? Yes, absolutely. That is awesome!
3: I love the the idea of a piece of
2: art finding its way back home. We we hmm. talk about it a lot. I think it's really fascinating. And Erica, that you get to walk around in your own hometown and think about that is pretty amazing. But I want to talk about how as writers. Sometimes we can wind up on the page, even when we don't necessarily mean to or set out to do it, because we talk about it a lot here, but we only have our own compost pile to work with, don't we? (laughs) So I want to know, I know that Lisa, you helped to break up a sex trafficking ring when you were in high school by going undercover. And it's also a storyline you gave your protagonist Jules in *Woman on Fire*. Can you tell us a little bit about that and writing that
5: part of yourself into the book? No, absolutely. So, interestingly, Jules, even though she's 24 years old, was is the character who is most like me. I put, you know, I have of all my characters, this Jules Roth is most like me, and. When I was in high school, I was I had an internship for a state senator, and um, I was approached by the police if I would be willing to go, and you know they would protect me from behind the scenes as bait to break up a sex trafficking ring. And I was, you know, hell yes, I am in, and so I was utilized in that in that way, and we did. Break up a sex trafficking ring and people were arrested and so that really gave me the journalistic buzz and I knew that I needed to go forward and seek out the truth and you know all, all the, those kinds of things that really impacted a 17 year old and so I wanted to give that story to Jules and it's embellished a little bit in the book but it's really pretty identical to what happened to me uh, you know in my younger days. That is incredible.
2: Yeah. I always think it's fascinating to kind of look at, you know, can I pick something, especially if I know the author really well, can I pick out something even they don't see in the book, right? And just like <laughs> this little nugget of their life. Yes. So I think that's fascinating. And Erica, you write about women who are tremendously resilient, including, of course, Virginia and Violet. But also, of course, American-born Virginia Hall, whom the Germans called the most dangerous of all Allied spies. I have a feeling they'd never call me that, but (laughs) she had lost her leg in a hunting accident and parachuted into France with a wooden leg, you mentioned this earlier, called Cuthbert. I mean, where did that come from? So can you talk about the piece of your own past that taught you the most about resilience, especially against physical challenges like the one Virginia faces in The Invisible Woman? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I don't even know
6: where it comes from until I get to the end of the book yeah. and I say, oh, okay, there's where that yeah. is. But yeah. Virginia Hall, so my late mother, my mother died in 2015, and she was so incredibly strong. She had a very debilitating form of scoliosis her whole life. And I'm not talking about a little curvature. She had a 90 degree S curve ribs fused Um, her whole life. She couldn't really breathe. And so I always saw her saying, Oh, well, we're going to go to this coral program. So we need to park here and then I need to wait. And then I'll walk this far and then I need to take a rest or I want to go to this, but I need to figure out what to wear to hide something. I was watching her work Her body and what it could do and couldn't do around planning life all the time. So my understanding of how Virginia Hall had to do that with Cuthbert was I knew exactly what that was like, um, having watched it. Also, stubborn determination. You know, my mom, when she was born, the doctor said she's not going to live to be 10 years old. She did. Um, And then the doctor said she would never have children. And she had two. And then they said won't live past 50. And she made it to 62. So, you know, it's like she was just always buying the odds. And Virginia Hall was the same. They said, we're not taking women in foreign service. She said, all right, well, I'll, I'll go be secretary at this embassy for now, but just you wait. And then they said oh, now you shot off your foot by accident. You have a prosthetic leg. We're not taking women in foreign service. And so the French said, you want to drive an ambulance? Go for it. And then the British said, do you want to spy for us? Okay. <laughs> so I'm um, just watching that, not letting people say no. I always watched it. You know, I don't have that level of fortitude. I have people in my life who do, and I'm really dazzled by them, you know, so.
0: Oh, that's
1: amazing. Wow. That is amazing. Well, and also I think what's really cool about both of these books is you both have these really interesting post-publication stories related to your books that I wanted to touch on just really briefly. So, Erica, you know, you have written about this American-born World War II spy, and you became very involved in an effort to have Virginia awarded a posthumous Medal of Honor, which... Is so cool. So, can you talk a bit about that effort and what it means to try to bring someone such an honor in real life after bringing her to life on a page? Yeah,
6: I'd love to. Um, I was I got involved in the uh, the women in intelligence community from these books. Awesome. I've been doing different, and I'm so honored. And um, I've been doing lots of presentations to different, you know, the women uh, women of Tampa Bay, Greater Defense, all different intelligence agencies. So I've been hooked up with a lot of really cool people, and they are so taken with Virginia Hall and want her story to to grow, and also the women in Sisters of Night and Fog and honoring them and their memories. So particularly, Virginia Hall is the only civilian woman to win the Distinguished Service Cross, and they want to get that upgraded to a Medal of Honor. So I've been working with the amazing women of the intelligence community, which is a uh, interagency, bipartisan, huge organization um, of incredible people, also with another writer who wrote about Virginia Hall, Craig Rowley, um, and Virginia Hall's family, who I'm in touch with because they live in Baltimore. Uh, so um, we put together letters. We're trying to document field experience. We need specific combat duty. Um, and that's that's all been this, this monumental effort. And um, we have to get uh, support from Senators Warner and Rubio, which we have people in both uh both of the offices who are really working hard on this and then it would go to the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. Um obviously all these people are very busy right now, but um we're really we're really hoping and praying
2: Virginia gets this on.
3: And Virginia was from she was she she was from that area, right? Virginia Hall is from Baltimore. Lake right.
0: is in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was it is funny that, that I'm sorry <laughs> I was just gonna say it's funny that you wound up writing about two Virginias back to back. Did that ever confuse you in the writing or the no, research? They, they could not have been more different from
6: each other. It was there was yeah. no confusion. So
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's very, very cool. Okay. Um, Lisa, your book has some really exciting news and that Sharon Stone is planning to both produce and star in a screen adaptation of woman on fire, which is so cool. So can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and um, where it stands? And I mean, have you talked to Sharon? We're so excited.
5: (laughs) You know, um, so first of all, yes, I've spoken to her quite frequently. She is, she is lovely. I mean, she is kind she is generous she is lovely it's it's it just blows my mind every time I'll, my husband will say something and i'm like i'm sorry i'm texting with sharon you know <laughs> I <laughs> can't make dinner. Sharon and I are chatting. Yeah. So um, so this you you'll appreciate this story. It's an out-of-the-box story. So I had just read her um her memoir, which is called is called The Beauty of Living Twice. And the paperback, weirdly, came out Erica on March 1st. Everything was March 1st. And so I had read this memoir. And I was blown away. I mean, you just, the whole behind the scenes of Hollywood. She has been through so much, fought through so many things, the Me Too stuff, you know, all of it. And such an icon and just, you know, a survivor. And I just really connected to this book. At the same time, Kristen wrote a blurb <laughs> for my book. And literally, I brought <laughs> Because I had a book launch. (laughs) Blurb is on the cookie. The last part of the blurb is uh, she described woman on fire as woman in gold meets spotlight meets basic instinct. So this was really at the exact same time. And I I said to myself, this is a sign. So I, if you can believe this, I sent my little arc. Um, I, you know, did my investigative journalistics, you know, moves. And I found where her business office was, and I just sent it out with a note, and that was it. And so my husband and I are watching Netflix, and I get a text, and the text was, Hi, it's Sharon Stone. <laughs> in. she said, I'm in X. And she said, I'm reading your book. I absolutely love it. Has anyone optioned it? And I'm thinking optioned it it's an arc it's a nothing it has you know it's not even you know a book yet and I was so excited you know maybe I got on my couch maybe I did a Tarzan screen (laughs) you know I was I was so excited and so from there it all moved really quickly and we signed a, a contract together you know right before Christmas so I was literally Holding this news for the past two months, wow. and then we, just during my yeah. the week of my book launch, uh, the plane landed, and um, my husband and I were separated with we the dog. Too much information, but we um, I, I opened it up, and I guess it was announced in Deadline, and all my writer friends, everyone just yeah. you know exploded, and I was you know, burst out crying. The whole plane was in on it. Oh. And- <laughs> and literally tears and the woman next to me i'm like jessica you don't understand and then <laughs> ma- mascara mascara all over her shirt and so but so where it stands it's all moving and you know what i love and just briefly is that so many women in hollywood are taking the reins they're no longer just you know acting in movies they want to produce they want to direct they want the production houses, and I love that. And so she's one of them, and she's, you know, going to make all of this happen. And I just, you know, it's a pinch-me moment, and I'm super excited. But, you know, she is the original woman on fire. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. That's the story. And you totally you
3: totally went rogue doing it that way, by the way. Totally
5: out of the box. And I'm, and I'm a big believer in go out of the box, you know you know, as you know, no matter who your publishing house is or what PR you have behind you, you still got to make it happen on your own and hustle. Yeah. My
1: first book, I mean, it never got made, but it got optioned because I did the same thing. Like there was somebody that I thought would be, and I sent her the book and she optioned it before like the book had even come out.
0: Exactly. That's crazy. Yeah. That is so cool. I can't believe though, that you just Mail to the, Sharon Stone, yeah, and then no, Sharon and Stone texted you like, "Oh, the only
5: celebrity, yeah, the only celebrity." I just, I kind of felt it. I had this like yeah. You yeah. Know, this weird kinetic vibe yeah. that this was the person, and it just happens. And, and she's yeah. so perfect for it the, for the story. As soon as I heard it, like, yes, yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. But well, it's,
0: and, it's, and you know, I feel that way because I put it in the blurb. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I think she's perfect for the
4: story. It's in the cookie. <laughs> it's, it's, the in cookie, cookie. Says, it's in the cookie cookie.
0: <laughs> All right. That's amazing. So, ladies, one of the things that I think really appeals to people about historical fiction is that we often learn to move forward by looking back. So, Lisa, of course, your novel is mostly set in the modern day with some historical context, but the conflict at the heart of this story is firmly rooted in World War II, as was your, your first book, I think, Fugitive Colors, right? Yes. Yes. And Erica, you've written several books about World War II and other moments in the early 20th century. So I'd love to talk to you both a bit about why writing about the past matters. In other words, why does the past feel so relevant today? And what can we learn from it? What do you think, Erica?
6: Well, for, and there's twofold. I mean, first, there really is nothing new under the sun. The cycle that humanity likes to run on seems to repeat itself. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we just have constant, up-to-date access to the news, but it's it's all been going on forever. Exhausting. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, but for me, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was trying to struggle how to make why we need these stories of hope in dark times more relevant. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't have to reach too far. Um, but we do, we need to see people who are willing to risk absolutely everything in the name of good and to fight for good, Um, sometimes costing the ultimate cost to do so. And um, and not only does it inspire us to rise to the occasion, but also for me, it helped put my life in perspective. You know, again, I was writing this throughout COVID and every time I'd be tempted to feel just a teeny bit sorry for myself because my pasta wasn't at the store or whatever. And then I would really dig into the research and say, no, no, you've got to, Quite, quite, good. Everything's going to be okay um, and it can get much worse. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point. So, Lisa, what do you think? Certainly your novel shows in a, a crystal clear way that the influence of the past continues to reverberate. I mean, that's really, that echoes throughout your
5: entire novel, I think. What do you think that means in the context of the present? Um, well, You know, I'm coming from it. I'm a daughter of a Holocaust survivor, so I had that growing up, and my grandmother was, hands down, my best friend. And she, you know, know, her whole family perished in the Holocaust and in Auschwitz, and she... (sighs) Her thing was her legacy, her family, the joy going forward. She really taught me about the fight and to stand up for, you know, especially now there's so much rampant anti-Semitism. And so it's, it's, it's really important to stand up. But I, you know, I got involved in my first book, as you mentioned, really researching stolen art. So I researched that book for four years before I would allow myself pen to paper. You know, with the Holocaust, you have to get it right. And being a journalist, sometimes a blessing and a curse, there's no stone left unturned. So uh, I, you know, during COVID the same, I wanted to come back to a soul, a story about stolen art from the perspective of one painting, but a painting representing the 650,000 works of art that were looted or confiscated or stolen, not just from Jewish collections, but from museums and and, um, schools and galleries and really the backstory of how artists, especially the avant-garde was persecuted in Nazi Germany. And I don't know why I, you know, I'm not an artist. My middle daughter is actually, but I'm always gravitating to this, uh, you know, uh, segment of you know World War II. Yeah. And uh, you know, I keep following it. I keep studying it. And you know, once we get in on a book and we're doing research, yeah. we're kind of quasi experts. So yeah. this this part of history crazily is still front page news. If you've seen it. It's, the New York Times almost every week. And now that the Nazis and the survivors are pretty much dwindling, yeah. this is what's left of Holocaust mm-hmm. history. And so I'm just fascinated, I'm engrossed, I'm embedded with this aspect yeah, of this.
0: That absolutely makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, that segues so beautifully
5: into
1: my next question, um, which is you know, you you do both have these beautiful novels centered around. This particular time period, and I'm wondering—it's kind of like when you have just had a baby and you're like bringing it home from the hospital, and people are like, "When are you having your next baby?" Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, do we have any thoughts? Is there anything you can tell us about next books? And 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 do you think that you'll stay in this you know specific space, or or are you not sure yet? So big question there, Erica. Do you want to take that first?
6: Yeah, I I wanted to kind of move into a space that wasn't so emotional, uh, emotionally devastating in some yeah. ways um, because some of the research can be really uh, eye-opening in terrible ways. Um, and what I've been drawn to, I was starting out researching this haunted apartment in London where Mama Cass had died and different people had died. And so I was studying the occult and drug use and, and that was what I was absorbed in. And finally I realized it was, this was during COVID and I said, I can't spend all my time focusing on this stuff. So I put that aside and I started to look for things that were beautiful and true and interesting. And I became captivated by um, kind of a controversial artifact that I will not yet name, but also captivated by the storytelling of like a multi-generational family saga. How, you know, what you don't work out, what you don't act out, you work out your Roseman Pilcher, the shell seekers, winter solstice, um, just watching family Move over the years. And so, what has grown from it is this multi generational family saga centered around really dazzling settings, artifacts, food, very sensory experience. So, something I really want to immerse myself in. And That's hopefully, awesome. readers will
1: too. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Lisa, what about you? Do you know
5: yet? Yes, I do. So I had my big departure from World War II with The Unbreakables, which was very sexy women's fiction. And I whipped that one out in nine months. Just (laughs) Just like a baby. (laughs) Just like a baby. It was very fun to write. I I loved being in the south of France and, you know, I took my family there for research and, (laughs) you know, it was it was wonderful. But every time I try to walk away and, you know, I, World War II pulls me back in. So yeah. this new book is about an actress. You know, I love the arts. And she's an actress with a secret past that took place during the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Oh. So that's what I'm working on. And um, fascinated by that, you know, that period of World War Two and that particular period. So um, you know, she was an assassin in her past and, you know, and now she is a very famous actress that no one would have any clue about her past because it's all been fabricated. And now she's at a point where she's going to reveal the story. So that's oh my gosh. They both
0: sound so good. That so wait good. For and and I have to say I know the thing that Eric is writing about. I'm just telling you and it's going to be
5: amazing. <laughs> I, say,
0: I really want to know. So know, because like, really this is, good good. this is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good and Lisa that sounds yeah. amazing too. I'm so excited. We're going to so get it out of
2: her. Yeah. No, Erica no don't I, think you guys, won't I'm, get it out of
0: here. I'm, I'm a vault. Nope. A vault. It's, not, it's, not, it's not coming out. We have no, to meet as kind of people. a vault we, with flies we, in it. Yeah. <laughs> we did like a pinky swear and everything. There's I champagne
2: involved. We, we might get it out of her. <laughs> but yeah. It's a no. distinct oh. possibility,
0: Yeah, distinct mm-hmm. possibility, but no, no lips are sealed. Mm-hmm. But said, Erica, <laughs> 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 ladies, we love a writing tip on here. That's one of our favorite parts of the show. You know, I think a lot of our viewers are interested in it, but we always like we learn something every week too because I think each of us does this completely differently Um, and we would love to hear what your piece of wisdom is um, for both aspiring writers and established career writers because we're always taking mental notes too. So Erica, would you like to start off tonight by giving us a writing tip?
6: Yeah, and I'm going to steal mine right from Ernest Hemingway because (laughs) everything I know and that is leave when the scene gets good. So when the action starts to rise and open the door and they're standing there with a gun, walk away. You're done for the day. (laughs) Pick it right back up the next day rather than writing to a chapter end and
5: then
0: sitting down and being like, oh, my gosh, what happens next? So, (laughs) okay, that's awesome. That's a great tip. And how about you, Lisa? I love that.
5: Okay, so I've got two. Uh, I would say. My my secret weapon is my dog Izzy. So she, what I do uh, before I turn in the manuscript is uh, I read the entire manuscript aloud to Izzy. Oh. Doesn't move, and I think it's so important because the book. Is so different when you hear it aloud. Yes. You can hear words that you said twenty pages earlier. You know that was kind of a, a, a you know a distinguished word that you might have said twenty years twenty pages earlier. You can also hear description that goes on and on. You're like, oh my god, I'm bored with this. How could you know a, a reader enjoy it? So read the book aloud. I know it's a lot of work, but it really makes a difference. And the other tip I would say is, and this is definitely from my reporter training, um, I had, a, if you're going to do interviews, I interviewed um, after the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, um, I interviewed his widow, Leah Rabin, right after the assassination for Vogue magazine. So what happened was I had oh, wow. my really amazing, high-tech, state-of-the-art tape recorder, and it picked up the air condition. And then I also had my crappy little Magnavox from high school uh, recorder, and that saved the day. So <gasps> back up the backup wow. always, I have to say always back. Wow. Up. That is great
0: advice. And Lisa, I have to say that would have been good advice for me. Um, <laughs> I, I used to write for People magazine and years ago I interviewed um, John Corbett who was Aiden on Sex in the City. Yes, yes. And we had the greatest, just frankest interview. He was wearing like a big Mexican hat for some reason. And he was just dishing on everything. And I had taken some notes, but I was just so enthralled because it was Aiden, you know, um, mm-hmm. that I got home and pushed play <laughs> eagerly waiting to hear the replay of the interview and it was completely blank. So, um, and uh. I had not taken enough notes to carry me through. And so I had to do one of the most humiliating things I've ever done, which was to ha- call his publicity people and say, I have a blank interview tape. I need to do it again. And they were like, oh. okay. And the second time he wasn't nearly as forthcoming. So <laughs> lesson learned. And yes. I've always taken, that was years ago. I've always taken really copious notes since then, but wow. you're, yes, I learned, learned that lesson the same way Lisa. exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. Um, well, ladies, this is one of our favorite parts of the show too. Do you have a book recommendation that you want to share with us this evening or better yet, a book that we would be surprised to find on your shelves? Lisa, do you want to take
5: that one first? Okay. So, you know, I always, whenever I'm asked for recommendation, I have so many wonderful friends in the industry. So I really kind of veer toward what has been on my nightstand pretty much forever. So, um, I would say the book that hasn't moved off my nightstand is Fear of Flying by Erica Zhang. It was the book I snuck off my parents' shelf at, you know, 10 years old, way way too young for it, but it really uh, really taught me a lot about writing as a woman and you can go there. So Erica Zhang's Fear of Flying, I'll say. Oh. What
6: about you
1: Erica?
5: Well, I just
6: finished last week Kristen Harmel's *Forest of Vanishing Stars*, and I I did finish it on the airplane home, which was a little turbulent, and I didn't even care because I was completely <laughs> obsessed with Yoda. I absolutely loved it. So that that was that hit it out of the park.
0: Um, it's a good thing I met with her last week and paid her to say that, right? She know, just pulled that she off did. like it was reality. Make sure I know
1: you say. <laughs>
6: No, it was just amazing. Um, one I think <laughs> people you. be surprised about is I I mostly read historical and biography and memoir, but every once in a while I like to mix it up. And I've recent I read the Hating Game, which yeah. is like a very the very sexy romantic comedy, um, and that book made me laugh out loud in an ugly way. And so I haven't read anything like that. Um, But that was that was a really fun one. So it definitely takes you out of the present in different ways than historical fiction.
0: That's great,
6: absolutely.
0: All right. Well, Lisa and Erica, if you would not mind sticking around for a few more minutes, we have one additional question for you. But first, a few reminders from us. Oh, Oh, Mary Kay, you're, you're muted.
3: Well, Sean muted me. (laughs) <laughs> okay now i can talk you may not mute me i will be heard <laughs> okay we know a lot of you have been participating in our very first friends and fiction reading challenge this month we're encouraging you to read a book about a female historical fiction figure and actually erica's new book would fit the bill perfectly yeah and if you're looking for a new way to keep track of these books and your other reading We would love to recommend this beautiful reading journal designed by us in conjunction with Oxford Exchange, one of our favorite independent bookstores in Tampa. It has a gorgeous Friends in Fiction blue linen cover and plenty of space to record your thoughts and what you're reading. Plus, the pages aren't dated. So you can begin anytime and continue filling it for as long as you like, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So it is March Madness,
2: not just for Auburn in basketball, (laughs) or not just for UNC, UNC. (laughs) exactly. But it's March Madness on our podcast, and we are so excited about this month. There have been so many good things going on. So on the last episode, Ron and Christy talked to Craig Conover about pillow talk. Oh my god. And it was, was so good. So good. good. Listen. He
1: like really dishes
2: in that episode. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, it, He does. And, he, and he, he it's almost like he doesn't realize it's going to be listened to by thousands of people. Right. right. It's like <laughs> just like having this conversation. We're out. <laughs> yeah. like He's just like chatting with y'all, like forgetting <laughs> that he's going to be heard by thousands. Yeah. So <laughs> don't forget to subscribe and then this coming week, Ron is talking to Brad Meltzer, and we are so excited about this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. His new one is called The Lightning Rod. And Mary Kay and Ron talked to Harlan Coben, and that mm-hmm. is the week after for our Mad March Madness. And then last, but definitely not least, in our wild March Madness <laughs> is... Our Christy Woodson Harvey with some very exclusive cut from the book and super secrets that you won't find anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to, while you're at the subscribe hitting stage of your day,
5: (laughs) (laughs) subscribe
2: to our YouTube channel and our newsletter and Loco Plus so that you can see all of our back streaming shows. Now uh, at 113 of them or something like That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. And
1: just keep on hitting like and make sure that you join us and our Friends in Fiction Official Book Club, which is run by our friends Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner. You can be there with 11,000 of your closest friends, and on March 21st, they'll be discussing The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren, which I know a lot of you have already read and loved, so sign up there if you haven't already, and make sure to join us for our next episode of Friends in Fiction next Wednesday, right here at 7 p.m., where we will welcome John Searles and Jessica Strasser will join us for the after show. Then on March 23rd, we'll host Lisa Scottolini. If you're ever wondering about our schedule, it's always on the Friends in Fiction website and on the Heterographic on our Facebook page.
3: Now, Lisa and Erica, one more time, you're up. One question we always love to ask, what were the values around reading and writing when you were growing up? And uh, Lisa, why don't you take this first?
5: Um, Well, it's in my first grade essay that I Mm -hmm. said, they asked, what do you wanna do when you grow up? And I said, I wanna write books. So I feel like I've been so blessed to have teachers that nurtured my love of writing. And, you know, I did a lot of poetry and they really encouraged that. So that has been that has been my tunnel vision all the way through. I mean, the diaries that, you know, all the journals later on. And uh, I feel like it's a huge part of my life, the writing, the reading. And, you know, it's breathing for me. So. It's it's who I am. So those yes. are my values. That's
6: awesome. Erica, That's awesome. yes, I remember the scholastic book fairs at school. Always my <laughs> yes. days, coming home with arms full of things. And my dad had an air freight business, and one day he brought me a book when I was about seven years old, with the cover ripped off, which now I sadly know meant it was being shipped back to the publisher. And it was *James and the Giant Peach* by Roald Dahl, and that became the first book I felt like it found me. I'm very uh-huh. spooky about that. Um, and then and on we went. And my grandmother, my Irish grandma, used to give me the books that I was not supposed to be reading, like BC Andrews and Stephen King. My, my Eleven, <laughs> them in my little Catholic school class and get in trouble for them. And uh, it's just always been a whole thing. And then my dad used to tell me scary stories on the way to school. And when my brother, he's seven years younger than I am, be too scared. So I started reading aloud to the car. So my dad always says I was an audiobook narrator for. That's awesome. awesome. On the way to school, so it's just always been reading, reading, writing, writing, all the time. Oh, that's awesome.
0: That's awesome. awesome. It's always so interesting to hear the different influences that go into making writers what they are. And Mm -hmm. we are very happy, Lisa and Erica, that you were made into the writers you are because we love both of these books. We're so excited for people out there to read them. They're "Woman on Fire" by Lisa Barr, "Sisters of Night and Fog" by Erica Roback. Erica. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us tonight. We loved spending time with you. Thank you so much. Awesome. we loved it. So good night, ladies. Good night. Night. Good night, y'all. Now, to all of you out there, make sure to stay for our after show with Rachel McMillan. And don't forget that you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube, which if you missed the beginning of tonight's episode, there was a little bit of a Facebook glitch. We know a few of you weren't able to get on If you're watching now and you missed the beginning, um, you'll be able to watch it on YouTube or you'll be able to watch it on Facebook. So you can find it in either place. We are live on YouTube every week, just like we are here on Facebook. And if you subscribe, you won't miss a thing. Plus you'll have access to special short clips. Be sure to come back next week, same time, same place, as we welcome John Searles and Jessica Strasser. And we will see you in just a minute on the After Show with Rachel McMillan. Hi, everyone. Welcome back
2: to the After Show. We didn't even give you time to go get another glass of wine. (laughs) Because because you are not going to want to miss us talking to Rachel. But first, gosh, they are so interesting, Lisa and Erica. And and the rip from the headlines and the real women and bringing them to life. It's amazing.
0: It is as is just mailing Sharon Stone your book I can't get over that I'm like you can do that I, I need I, I'm mailing Sharon Stone my book no, I'm just kidding <laughs> that's amazing
3: <laughs> uh, you no. know but I was
0: sitting there thinking
3: who am I gonna mail it to who am yeah. I gonna mail it to who am I gonna mail no it I'm to? impressed yeah. good
0: for her though for having the initiative to do that that's awesome
3: yeah I'm interested in how many um former journalists we have had on the show who who yeah. um, became novelists yeah. it's, it's um you know, as a washed up journalist myself, I'm, that's something I'm always fascinated you with.
1: You are rather washed up. We talk about yeah, it a that's lot. That's what we say all, all the time,
4: time about you. that Mio. woman
3: ever get her career off the ground? <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people I'm a recovering journalist. Will she ever exactly. figure out what to
2: do with their life?
3: <laughs>
2: it's time. Okay. It's we better. are really excited to bring on a third incredible author tonight. Lucky also us. happens to be a good friend of ours and I know we are all fans of her and her work and we've Absolutely. been waiting for this and before we bring her on I have to tell you this I have known about this book for so long and I cannot tell you how excited I am that it is finally coming out Yay.
1: <laughs> so excited. <laughs> Well, Rachel McMillan is the author of The Haringford and Watts Mysteries, The Van Buren and DeLuca Mysteries, The Three-Quarter Time Series, The London Restoration, and The Mozart Code. She is also the author of several nonfiction works, including A Very Merry Holiday wow. Movie Guide, and to be sure,
2: she doesn't sleep, right? That's a lot. I, mean, I know, exactly. Right. I know.
3: She can't yeah. sleep. I think she so lives in You watch can't... her on social media. Yeah. She yeah. lives in Canada, so I think they give her an extra hour because she lives in Canada where it's cold. I don't know. That's, just my, that's my theory. We'll ask her. Okay. When she's not reading or writing, Rachel works as a literary agency, agent for William K. Jensen Literary Agency. She loves church, architectural history, and is a classic movie buff and an avid traveler. We're going to ask her what her favorite classic movie is.
0: Ooh, I love it. Okay, perfect. Rachel hails from a small town in Ontario set on a lake, and she now lives in Toronto. So, Sean, I'm going to ask you to bring... Rachel on, but I also see Erica is still sitting backstage, and I know she likes Rachel too. So um maybe bring them both on. Yeah. Right. Erica can come back as <laughs> well. Hi Rachel! Oh Hi my gosh!
4: Erica. Hello. Hi Erica. Hi Rachel! Like <laughs> now? Like a sleepover? I mean, like oh speaker. Lisa! Lisa's still here too. Lisa, <laughs> <laughs> would you also like to come back? Oh, that's
2: fantastic! <laughs> it's yeah, like, a a bear.
0: Bear. like a sleepover. like a sleepover. I love you guys.
4: Just <laughs> here.
3: Hi! <laughs> hey. Hi, Rachel!
2: It is Hi, so great to see you. Hello, my friend. We are so excited about the Mozart cow- Code, which comes out next Tuesday.
4: Next, yeah, Tuesday, next Tuesday. Right? Oh my gosh! Like it didn't? I didn't think it would ever. Yes, ever. That ever come cover, <laughs> <tell>. that cover <laughs> is
2: magic, isn't it? And, and everybody just has to admire how mm-hmm. Rachel says, "Oh my gosh."
4: Oh, so, yeah. I want you to start Sometimes, by saying <laughs> anything you want me to say in my Canadian accent, please uh, <laughs> like, you know. I'll, I'll oblige. It happens. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> All right. I want you to tell us a little bit about the book before we ask you to get into some yeah. conversation. Tell us about it, the Mozart. Code. Oh,
4: I love it. It is a treatise on chess and Mozart, and it features two cities very dear to me, Vienna and Prague my last pandemic trip actually was specifically to research this book and I hope that those cities become a stand-in for a symphony to readers. It is set in the culture creek, the Cold War one of the two cities will fall behind the Iron Curtain, one will not it's a marriage of convenience story between two people who were just at Bletchley Park during the war and could be the tipping point along with Mozart and his death mask as to what will be the next step that will will take the Cold War to its, uh, as we know, this espionage, intelligent um, pandemonium that happened. So it's music and love and all of the different ways that we have to learn how to live with ourselves, but all of the different ways also that we have to learn how to love one another. So it's a romance with an espionage flair and set in two magnificent cities that I hope people love reading about.
0: Awesome. I
4: want to know how you knew
2: about the death mask. I've never heard of that and it's so fascinating. It's tell so everybody about cool. it.
4: So a long time ago, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but as an author, I have an ideas folder and I'm always adding to it. And so a long time ago I read um, that I'm a classical music buff that the death mask of Mozart supposedly turned up in a fanned house or a pawn shop in Vienna in 1947. And so I filed that away. Like, what the heck? The war, as we know from Lisa's book, as we know from Erica's amazing backdrop, was quite harrowing, but also exhumed these amazing artifacts mm. and the restitution and reparation of artifacts to their original parties was quite amazing. And so the fact that the death mask, supposedly, I've talked to Viennese historians that kind of dispute this. Some believe it is the real thing, some do not. The fact that it turned up after the war was just amazing to me. And I was waiting for a story. And so when I was writing the London Restoration, which is set in post-war London and features all of the reconstruction of Christopher Wren's beautiful churches, I created an MI6 character uh, for that book, and he kind of spoke to me and said, Rachel, I need my own story. And so when I had his story, I thought, what a wonderful time to really dig deep into this city that is an absolute passion and muse for me. And luckily unfortunately, the death mask of Mozart informs some of that passion because Vienna is a city that is alive with music. You can't turn a street corner without hearing Mozart and it's inherent in the architecture and it's inherent in Prague's architecture. And I just loved it. So, if you want to geek out with me about that, then have I got a book for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm that's such amazing. a nerd. Um, that's so awesome. I love um, it.
1: Well, you obviously, it's like you knew what I was going to ask and you just segued right into it. I love what that happens. Um, but you obviously, as you've said, are very passionate about Vienna and you really love it. So can you tell us a little bit about like what draws you to Vienna?
4: It is a book from I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church and we had a church library and there was a Christian fiction novel called Vienna Prelude that is about a violinist who decides to, along with American journalists, smuggle passports for Jewish children out of Vienna before the Anschluss and the occupation. I read it when I was 10 years old and it informed all of my great loves of my life. It made me passionate about history. It made me passionate about classical music. And while other children were fascinated with living in Narnia and Avonlea and Middle Earth, all I ever wanted to do was go to Vienna. So now in adulthood, I've spent time there. And it just shows the power of a story that perhaps isn't, quote unquote, great literature or a timeless classic uh, to everyone who would you know, Wikipedia, what are the 10 greatest classics ever? It's not that book. But when you're a kid, anything that informs that passion is something that makes it a classic to you. So it informed everything that I love. And I always loved Vienna. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a true love of my life. (laughs) That is amazing.
0: Erica, did you have a question you wanted to ask Rachel? I did. Rachel
6: is somebody who I, again, I feel like I know from seeing on Twitter or different social media, but I wanted to ask you as a writer, how do you balance it all? Because you write, you're a cheerleader for other writers, tremendous. And then you also have chats and you have so many things. So how do you organize your day? How do you do it?
4: It is a lot of necessity, Erica. I, I am, I used to be a little bit shy about talking about this, but now I've decided just to own it because I think it's really helpful for aspiring writers. I am a single woman. So Mm -hmm. writing is, if I want it to be my livelihood, I have to do a patchwork quilt of other things in order to assure that mm-hmm. I am secure enough because we okay. all know that writing can have one success, yep. one moment and okay. then no successes the next moment. Absolutely. Where is my retirement fund? If Anthony Bridgerton doesn't come from the Regency period and propose to <laughs> me tomorrow. So, we're we're putting, putting that out there. We're manifesting <laughs> that. Right Are now. you waiting for Sean Evans? I'm waiting You're for waiting Sean for Evans Sean, too. Aren't you? It's just the Bridgerton trailer today. I've just, been quite fascinating <laughs> <by that. laughs> for research purposes uh, as yeah. an agent. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's a lot about I work for the privilege of writing. Okay. And so when you mm-hmm. are working towards something that is your passion, you make time for mm-hmm. it. So yeah. I chunk out my days. I do have to say that if I'm not passionate about other people's books and not reading, I don't have the pottery power to write my own. I will also say that the pandemic just made this a big whole blur. So I'm talking about usual, Rachel, not pandemic lockdown, Rachel. Um, but somehow living in the world of story is how I'm able to craft my own. And mm-hmm. so in the morning is when I do all of my agent emails and when I do all of my administrative stuff and any, you know, uh, course I'm teaching or anything I'm doing is an editing job for freelance. And then I shift to my own stories. And I've always told myself, if I ever stop loving other people's books, I'll stop writing my own because I have to be a reader first mm-hmm. and then a writer second. Okay. Um so yeah, but I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying yeah. it's for anyone, but, or everyone, but mm-hmm. if you really love something as much as I love the world of words, mm-hmm. then somehow you're willing to give up a lot to make it happen.
2: Yeah, that's such a good point. You posted on Twitter today. Your <laughs> I got it all done too. <laughs> there is no way. I saw your to-do list on Twitter when I was on the airplane, and I had to close my computer and close my <laughs> eyes. Like, <laughs> <It is. laughs> daddy was going to write, and you broke her, Rachel. You broke I, her her me. Daddy. But- I watched a movie because your to-do list was, like, something I would do in a, two weeks. I'm going to need
3: to search this out. It's it's a little crazy,
4: but I I really do feel that it's important. I'm sure we all do because we're very active on social media to let people know that if you want to be in this world, it is going to take some sacrifice. I know no writer who wakes up and is an overnight success. We see this in the careers of every writer who's here. If you want it, and I legit think I said this on the last time I was on Friendship <laughs> almost two years ago, you have to really, really love it. And since you really, yeah. really love it, everything you do just means that much more. Yeah.
0: That's so true. And you know, Rachel, um, Erica mentioned feeling like she knows you because she's, you know, you're, you're you're on social media a lot and you're very open about things on social media. And so before we go tonight, I wanted to ask you about that. So you of course live in Canada where the lockdowns were much stricter Yeah. um, and you've been really authentic and vulnerable online about being careful with your mental health Mm -hmm. and careful about um, what isolation and COVID and being away from your loved ones has meant to you. You've been really open about that. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how maybe that experience has enriched your writing of this novel?
4: Yeah, it's funny because I, you know, I'm very open. This should shock no one um, that I I've, I'm a lifetime sufferer of panic and anxiety. I wrote them into a character in my Van Buren and DeLuca series. Hamish has all of my symptoms, my tremor, my stutter, when I get very panicked. Um, And so lockdown Toronto was one of the most locked down cities in the world over the past two years, um, often to the point where as a single woman, I could not see another household. So I went a long time without even seeing my parents or my siblings or my friends. And so that actually really influenced my approach. ah, There it is of the Mozart code (laughs) uh, because I found that the story was getting very, very dark. And so it Mm -hmm. took extra edits. The release date was moved, which of course, I internalized as, you're terrible at this. But once I embraced the struggle, it allowed me to create a character who mirrors so much of my own insecurities. So we're looking at Simon Barrington, who is the illegitimate son of a very wealthy family. To anyone who meets him, he's pinstripes and spit Sean Shoes and Saville Rowe he's an amazing chess master but all of his life is all about trying to reconcile how can I believe in myself everyone mm. sees one thing yeah. how do I believe that I am worth something and I think that my experience during the pandemic allowed me to get into the loud voices because you're on your own you can't go work at a coffee shop or see people that Simon has all of the time so if readers come away with something that's not just a spy and love story it's you're worth something inherently just because you're you Mm -hmm. and no matter how loud that echo gets you are valuable because you're you and I think that everyone's worthy of love and the words that encapsulate that are what became the Mozart code in its very final form. Uh, well,
0: I cannot think of a better note to end on tonight. That was absolutely beautiful. So well said. And I mean, apologies to all of you out there because we've given you clearly three books tonight. You're going to have to immediately go out and buy. So apologies <laughs> to all of like your pretty wallets. cold and rainy. I think we've like, given them something fun to do. You guys, you, everybody out there, you're going to rip through these books, all three of them in a week. So, you know, pick up all of them now, pre-order Rachel's, which will be out right next. Is it next Tuesday? Next Tuesday. Yeah. Next Tuesday. And Lisa's and Erica's just came out this past week. So Pre- place Rachel's on pre-order so it arrives on Tuesday. By that point, you will have flown through Woman on Fire and Sisters mm-hmm. of Night and Fog. But ladies, we appreciate so much that you joined us tonight. Um, we love all three of you. We're so happy that you're here. And Erica and Lisa, thank you so much for staying for the after show. Also. Yay! Those
4: Those nice. awesome. <laughs> Rachel, I wish they were Erica all in all
2: one room. <laughs> I know I know, I know. I know. <laughs> the roof, it's amazing.
0: It's amazing! Thank all you. right, everyone, ladies, what a lovely night. We will let all of you out there go, but we will see you next week. Same time, same place. Same place. Have a wonderful Wednesday night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, good night, y'all.
4: Good night.
0: Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.
4: Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.